We are in the third week of a series that I'm really enjoying called Your Red Flag is Showing. It's all about the big character issues that everybody else sees that we're blind to. And this week is a really important week. I think it'll give a deeper insight into previous weeks and next week. This is a major, major week. Even if you're not a Christian, I think the red flag we'll be talking about this week will really transform your life. It's a good week, okay? And what we're gonna do, this is what it's gonna look like, is I'm gonna tell a story. We're gonna look at some Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 11. You can turn there with me. We'll exposit it verse by verse. And then we're gonna make some points, okay? So really simple message, but I'll start with a story. Back in 1996, I was racing sailboats for the White Bear Lake Yacht Club. And uh, a friend of mine named Katie Tinder, who I also raced with, she had her own boat. Um, it was named Pompero. She had a sweet sailboat. But she got a brand new ski boat that I just thought was the coolest thing I'd ever skied behind. Its wakes were flat. It had a computer in it. I mean, it was amazing. It's called a Malibu Echelon. And I wanted one so bad. I mean, as a boy, I just had this little boy dream. Someday, you know, I want to have that boat, whatever. And I have dreamed about it for years and years. And in 2017, I still had not let go of the Malibu Echelon dream. And I found a 1993 Malibu Echelon for sale. And uh, I just, I had to have it. And it was expensive. We spent 7,000 American dollars on that. That is, that is significantly more than all of my cars combined. All three of them. And uh, why do I have three cars? Because when you have three cars that are worth less than $7,000, you need to have a spare. In fact, this week I had two breakdowns, so that was very frustrating. My wife called me and said, hey, I'm broken down. And I said, hey, I've got a lot going on. I'll get to you when I can get to you. And then she said, no, you'll get to me right now or you'll die. And I was like, it's crazy. This boat is appreciated in value since I bought it. It is now worth probably more than all of my possessions minus my house combined, which is crazy. But I told my wife, I said, hey, look, I want to get this boat. It is the only boat I'll ever want. You know, we're going to have so many great memories in this boat. It's going to be fantastic. You know, if I get this boat, I promise I will never want another boat again. You know, and it's amazing. I don't know if you recognize this, but all of us have a salesman inside of our brains that just, it sells you on things. Really persuasive. Saleswoman, salesman, whatever. And, you know, it, my salesman goes to work. It's like, hey, listen, um, it's got a Chevy small block in it, babe. It's bulletproof, Kristen. Like, you got to understand it's not about the money. It's not even about me. It's about the kids. You know, if I'm honest, I don't even want this boat. I just want to give them great memories. You know, I got to deal with it. It's all the work. I mean, I don't want it, but I know they want it. They need it, you know. And really, Kristen, if I'm being honest, I'm doing this for you, girl. Like, I, I, I want you to have nice things. You know, you grew up rich in this big 7,000 square foot house, multiple fireplaces, three laundry, three laundry rooms, one on each level, in-ground pool, fountain, statue, everything else. And, you know, I want you, I want you to have it. It's not about me. And despite you saying you don't want those things, my insecurity and inferiority complex to your childhood compel me to do this for you. How many men are competing against the ghost of their wife's childhood, right? Like, oh, I want you to have nice things. I'm getting you a car. You know, I don't want the car, but you want the car and I want to get it for you and whatever. I just want to put you in something nice. Not about me, it's about you. You know, you're making me get this boat. I'm going to get it, even though you told me that we shouldn't get it. And that sales guy is so good. I mean, he can talk myself and you into anything. Basically had no choice but to get that boat. And you know, I got it in 17, and we have had great memories in it. This is one of my favorite pictures, my son asleep in the front of the boat. Oh, so fun. I mean, just so much fun. Great experience. Now, one thing I did not calculate when I said I'll never want another boat is I got it when I had three or four, I don't remember, three or four little kids. And uh, the problem with little kids, and you might, not, you might have recognized this in your life too, is they keep getting bigger. You know, and this boat has a low water line and we've had some big waves over the bow and it's getting crowded in there and whatever. And it's like, man, this boat is tight. Okay, like it's not tight as in it's super cool. It's like tight as in it's tight in here. Okay, and this last winter, I saw another boat, a bigger boat. 
Sitting in a driveway in DMOT, uncovered and neglected. And just so you know, neglected toys are my wheelhouse. You know what I mean? I see a neglected toy, a little radar goes up in the back of my head, like, beep, like, deal, 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 you know? Every day I just started seeing it and I started thinking, I want that boat. I mean, I don't want that boat. My kids, my kids want that boat. My kids need it. You know, I mean, I'm fine with my boat, but my family, you know, this boat's getting a little bigger. My family's getting bigger. You know, it's got some ergonomic features. And then the salesman got dirty. Okay, check out what the salesman did. This is so bad. This really happened. The salesman in my mind was like, you know, mom's getting older and it'd be really nice. It'd be easier for her to get into. Forget the fact that she's Japanese and can't swim, hates getting wet, never liked boating in the first place. You know, I mean, here's this. The only time you see a Japanese person on the water, they've got one of those orange life vests on, a camera and a peace sign out. You know what I mean? They can't, what are we doing, right? Mom doesn't, if I don't get that boat, I'm pretty much slapping my mom across the face. How many more summers? How many more summers do we have with her now that she's getting older? You know, it's not about me. It's about my mom. My mom needs me to get this boat. You know, she works so hard. She deserves, she deserves a boat. Furthermore, <laughs> the salesman went here too. Boats have gained value. Boats in the last couple of years have done better than the stock market. I mean, boats are a good investment, really. You know, this is how I save for retirement. Honey, this is what we're doing. I'm contributing to my IRA through boats. Basically, we can't afford not to get it. Every day. I dropped my kids off and I'd see the boat twice on my road, twice. And I just kept visualizing, you know, I just knock on their door and, you know, and the salesman in my mind is just going nuts. And he's so good. I mean, the salesman in your mind has no scruples. He has no, he's just a lie. He will lie to you about everything. You know, he was, think about this. This man in my mind was going after my mother, my kids. I mean, that's dirty. Thank God, thank God. Literally this week, that boat disappeared after sitting uncovered. Uh, since August. I was like, thank God. Not a moment too soon because that salesman was really, you know, we were getting in the red zone. And the red flag. The red flag I want to talk about this week is the red flag of self-deception. This red flag is the worst. And everybody, everybody's affected by this flag. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, you are affected by the red flag of self-deception. And God has so much to say about this. You know, the red flag of self-deception, oh man, it's that voice inside your head. And the key to this flag, the key to this flag is it pushes you to make choices without being wise about the choices. How many people do you know that just deceive themselves all the time? I mean, you talk to them and they've got this cockamamie weird logic that just convinces them to do the craziest things. You know, you see them and they're like in financial trouble and they show up in a new truck. It's like, why, why would you do that? And they're like, well, really, you know, I was getting nickel and dimed in the other one, you know, I mean, it was paid for. I was getting nickel and dimed, and this one's got a warranty. See, this one's got a warranty. So I dropped 70 grand on this and whatever. It's like, wait, what? You know, you see somebody on social media, they're like, well, I see through the smoke and mirrors, and, you know, I have to take action. I got to let everybody know. And it's like, how did you wear it? Really? You think that's a hoax? You know, in the end of this, or with their kids, you know, I just got good kids, and it's like, I'm pretty sure your kids are all possessed by demons. You know what I mean? Like, really? Good kids? It's like, yeah, they just self with an ax, you know, it was really, it was all their fault. See, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure like you were terrible. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, eh, you know, I don't know. And what self-deception does, and this is so big, and this is worth writing down. And this is really probably the most important thought of the day. Like this is a big deal. What self-deception does is it hides your selfish motives behind a veil of moral good. Oh, and this is what we do. Oh man, self-deception. It's not an outright lie. It just twists the truth. It's all good Deception does. What did I do with the boat? I hid my selfish motives behind the veil of moral good with my mother. Oh, man. 
You know, how many people, oh, I have to remodel the house. You know, I don't really want to, but it's about my kids for the graduation open house. You know, I mean, they're moving out, and I don't want these new counters, and I don't want this new flooring that's gray, and I don't want this new white trim, and I don't want this new in-ground pool, but we have to do it. You know, we just have to because the kids, it's for the kids. You know, I have to cheat on my taxes. You know, it's not about me. You don't understand. I want to give more. You know, it's moral good. I want to give more, see, Pastor, and that's why I'm going to do it. We just justify our selfish desires with a moral good. Oh, we have to, and I hear this all the time as a pastor, like hundreds and hundreds. We have to move in together. Financially, it's the only way. I know we're not married, but whatever, and I've been good in so many ways. God will make an exception for me. If I tell them the truth, it's going to hurt their feelings. You know, forget the fact that I don't want to tell them the truth. You know I mean? It's going to hurt their feelings. Really, it's for them. It's not about me. Can't go back and apologize. They're too mad at me, you know, and whatever. And it's really about them. It's not about me. We're the worst one. And this is the most insidious one. This one I just see all the time is the victim mentality. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. I can't because my mom, my dad, my ex, my teachers, the Democrats, the Republicans, the president, really the president, my brother, my friend, the government, my boss, my kids, the weather. It's the weather's fault. It's not my fault. You know what I mean? My dad and the weather conspired to ruin my wedding day. She took advantage of me. You know, everybody in my life. Just such a, forget the fact that you're the common denominator in all of your decisions. It's not your fault. It's their fault. It's a giant conspiracy just to wreck your life. And what self-deception does, it starts with these little teeny body shots. Just these little hits, these little lies, these little twists, right? It starts with little, th- oh, I need this coffee. You know, $7 a day, but I need it. You know, there's nothing wrong with $7 a day coffee if you can afford it. Many of us, you know, you can't. I'll just snooze and I'll make up for it later. I'll just eat one more, it won't matter. I'll just be late and they won't mind. I'll just, I'll just ignore my screen time. It's not hurting anybody, not hurting anybody. Ah, they don't need to know that I bought that. Or this is, this one's really common with younger people. I'll just rebel now, junior, senior year of high school, freshman year of college, and then I'll come back to the Lord. 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, and then I'll just pull it back together. You know, I'll rebel. Everybody else rebels wrong, but I'm only going to rebel a little bit. I'm going to have a little bit of fun, and then I'm just going to come right back. It's all going to be perfect. All these little body shots, self-deception does until it goes for the uppercut and wrecks your life. And self-deception is the undoing of so many great people, so many great Bible heroes. Perhaps my favorite, favorite story of self-deception in the Bible, and, and, and Jesus is, is a nut about teaching about this all the time. He's on it, but my favorite is the story of King David. King David is this great, amazing kid, a man after, or amazing king, a man after God's own heart, and he has an inner salesman that at one point in his life totally deceives him. In 2 Samuel 11 and verse 1, it says, in the springtime of that year, when kings normally go out to war, the king's biggest responsibility is being commander-in-chief of the armed forces. That's what the king is supposed to do. It's a big job. Right? When kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, General Joab, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. You know, it doesn't tell us what his inner salesman did, but you know it was a big sales job. I mean, David is supposed to his job. It's your job. And he sits there, and what does he do? He phones it in, texts Joab, hey, I'm going to work from home today. You know, I'm going to work from home. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to golf. I mean, work from home. You know, that's what I got to do. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch YouTube. I mean, work from home. You know, I'm important. It's interesting because just a little lie, a little lie leads to bigger compromises. It always works that way. I mean, this is how the salesman of deception just reels us in. And check out this next line. This is, this is good. This is insightful. Verse two, it says, late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed. What is he, three? He's napping in the, I mean, must be nice. Right? 
Hey, come on, midday rest. It's such a great insight. You know, this is so many. I'm working from home, napping. You know, I need to because I really, I'm going to avoid burnout. You know, I mean, I don't want to work too hard. I don't want to overwork myself, you know, whatever. Gets out of bed. He was walking on the roof of the palace and as he looked over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty. Translation, she is a smoke show taking a bath. It's like, man, first he was cheating out on work. Now he's a perv and a voyeur, thirsty. And he's interested in this drink of water, isn't he, right here? So he sends someone like a middle school boy to find out who she was. Who's that? And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, there's a few alarming things. We get wife, that's not good, okay, off the market. But then Uriah the Hittite, this should be huge, huge alarm bell right here. Big problem. Uriah is listed in the Bible of one of David's 40 mighty men. Uriah fought with David throughout his whole campaign against the previous king. I mean, they lived in the wilderness for 10 years, for a decade. Uriah has stuck with David before he was anybody. He had faith with this man. I mean, he's a faithful, loyal friend. Gave up so much. And what that means is he's off limits. This is one of your best friend's girls. Like, what are you thinking? But the salesman deceives him inside his head. We can guess what he said, you know? Oh, you're the king. Everybody loves you. You deserve this lady. I mean, after all, she is beautiful, and you're the king, and you're ruddy and handsome, and really, your eyes are total zero. He would have been nothing without you. In fact, the only reason that Bathsheba went for him is because, you know, he, he associates with you. So basically, she's your wife. You know, go on. You deserve it. No one will know anyway. You know, it's just you're going to sleep with her one time. Barely a handshake, see? So he sleeps with her, seduces her, sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. Uh-oh. You know, now he's kind of caught, so he goes into control mode. The salesman of deception says in his mind, you know what you can do? You got to hide it. You're not caught yet. You don't have to confess yet. You can still get away with it. Just bring your eye up back from the battlefield. Have him give him a report on the war. And while he's here, he's going to sleep with his wife. You can pretend the kid is his. Oh my goodness, born after seven months, full weight, just premature miracle. Wow, you know what's amazing? They don't have Sally, Jesse, Raphael. They don't have Jerry Springer doing the paternity test. May he rest in peace. He just died this week. One of the great talk show hosts of the era. But when Uriah came home, he refused to sleep with his wife. And David's like, what? Dude, have you seen Bathsheba? She's a total fox. I slept with her. He didn't say that, but that's what he's thinking. Verse 11, Uriah replied, why won't you sleep with her, right? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents and Joab and my master's men are campaigning in the open fields. What's he doing? He is trying to convict his boss. They're out in the fields. You should be there too. Have you ever had a boss, a great man, an owner, somebody you work for that was like so respectable, so amazing. And over the course of the years, you just see these little compromises. You know, they start to deceive themselves. They get a little bit deluded where you're at this place where it's like, huh, they used to be. They were amazing. What's happening? Okay, he's pointing this out. Like, how could you, how could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. Wouldn't do it. David's like, uh-oh. He tries one more time. He gets him drunk, right? You have to drink. If the king drinks, you have to drink. So he gets him drunk, and Uriah has so much discipline, he still won't go home. He's like, I'm not doing it. I'm standing in solidarity with my brothers. David's like, fine. Next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, the general, and he gave it to Uriah to deliver. Uriah is delivering this letter, not knowing what's in it. And the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is the fiercest, then pull back, right? Everybody's fighting, and don't tell Uriah. Everybody's gonna step back, and he's, he's gonna get killed. Standing Arm to arm, shield to shield, shoulder to shoulder. Wow. Nobody wakes up trying to be evil. Nobody wakes up saying, you know what? I want to be just a manipulative, abusive mother. 
It's a victim mentality. It's what I want to do. It's my dream. Nobody wakes up saying, I want to be a deadbeat father. You know, that's what I really want to do. I just want to, nobody wakes up saying, you know what, I want to steal from work when I grow up. That's what I want to do. I just want to have, you know what I really want to do is just hurt people in my life severely. Nobody, nobody, nobody does that. What we do is we listen to the salesman of self-deception. We start to rationalize this crazy stuff. We hide our sin under the guise of good. David didn't think he was a murderer. What did he tell himself? Well, I'm the bold king doing what I have to do. Nobody knows how hard I work. Nobody knows what I have to do to hold this kingdom together. His salesman's going nuts. It's really not your fault, David. Uriah really brought this on himself. You know, he's just this legalistic, self-righteous guy who's kind of annoying. I wish he would just go in. Doesn't he understand the choices I have to make, the things? Nobody knows the mantle I have to carry, the pressure I have to take to lead this kingdom. I didn't even really sleep with her, but one night, it was barely a handshake, see? And now because of this silly rule keeper, the whole kingdom could be ruined. You know, it's not about me. I have to protect my reputation because my reputation, if it gets destroyed, the whole kingdom, the whole kingdom could get hurt. You know, not everybody's in trouble. I mean, Uriah, I don't want to murder you, but I have to. I mean, basically, you're committing suicide because you're just, you're just being difficult. Oh, what a powerful work of self-deception. And we all do this, don't we? Oh, pastor, you don't understand. I had to lie. I had to. I had to say the mean thing to stop him. You don't understand. I mean, I would have gotten cut in half. She would have taken half of everything. And that's not even fair. I mean, I was the one who earned it. Needed to take a break. I was burning out. You know, I needed to lie to my boss. I mean, I had to. I need to get angry because they were abusing me. They were. That's what they were doing. She was abusive emotionally and it was terrible. I needed to throw the pity party. You don't understand. I needed to throw the pity party. I needed to run away because they are so mean. They're mean. Self-deception. This is a big deal. Big deal. Self-deception. Hides your selfish motives behind a veil of moral good. It's what we do. It's the MO. How many of us do this? And how many of us, we know people, and you can look in your life, and I mean, you see it, and you know what's funny is you see it in all of them, it's easy to miss in you. If you're not seeing it in yourself right now, you're missing something. So David sent Uriah back, carrying his own death warrant. Uriah unknowingly hands his death warrant to Joab, and Joab carries it out, and Uriah is killed in battle. A brother who fought by David for 10 years, through thick and thin, falls in battle, and this is David's response Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Tragic. Tragic. You know, um, the salesman of this self-deception, what it really does when it reaches its terminal phase, the final phase in your life, is it it blinds you from what good and evil is. I mean, self-deception, if you ever met somebody, they cannot tell the difference between good and evil. They call evil good and good evil. We see this in America today. We see so many people, they call mutilating a child good and affirming care. It's crazy. It's craziness. And right now, David's self-deception says, you did it, David. You protected the kingdom. You protected Bathsheba from being ridiculed. Good job. All is well. I mean, you did the hard choice that no one else was willing to make. And you know what's crazy? David's sin would come to light as all sin does in this life or the next. That's what happens. You know, um, when respected people do this, it's amazing how they can have an incredible legacy. But this is the thing that people remember. You know, one of the great presidents of our era, Bill Clinton, we remember one thing, one thing. We all know it. I mean, here's this guy, did all this stuff, you know. We had a federal spending surplus. I mean, all these great things. We don't remember that. We remember the one thing he did. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Elizabeth Warren, 
You know, here's this woman, she was doing great things, she stood up for things, and all of a sudden, you know, she lied to herself, deceived herself about her legacy as an Indian. Or Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. I mean, here are these ministers, they're doing this great stuff, they're building amazing things for the gospel, and you see what they did, and it's funny, I don't even need to really talk that much about what, their whole legacy, their whole legacy, gone, gone. And David does this thing, and it's a national sensation. I mean, his reputation is ruined. Everybody knows, oh my goodness, wow, can you believe it? Like, Uriah died, he married her right away, and then she got pregnant, and oh my goodness, like the baby, wow. He permanently, permanently, and this is the big thing, he didn't just lose his public reputation. He permanently lost the respect of his adult children. And this is what you have to understand. If you deceive yourself, this is a big deal, and I want you to get this, and this really matters, the cost of self-deception, it's not just your life, okay? You will permanently lose the respect of those closest to you. This is what happens. If you don't deal with it, if you don't own it, if you don't humble yourself, if you don't confess it, you will permanently lose the respect of those closest to you. David, as a direct result of his actions, his house will be marked by violence and strife. One of his daughters would be brutally raped. His son would start a civil war of succession against him. He would end up having to kill his own son, Absalom, as a direct result of his moral failure. And I want to be clear, this is an affair, but it's not just affairs that do this. It's anger. It's alcoholism. It's lying. It's laziness. It's a victim mentality. It's bitterness. Unforgiveness. David, he can hide his sin from a lot of people. He can justify, you know, you meet people and you tell them your story, your sob story, you know, there's his side, her side, and the truth isn't there. And, you know, David tells his story, and oh, David, I feel so bad for you. And you got taken, nobody appreciated you, whatever his sob story is, right? But the people that really see through it is our family. Because when we deceive ourselves, when we deceive ourselves, those closest to us are not deceived. Do you remember when you woke up and you realized, some of you, that your parents were just deceiving themselves and trying to deceive you? You know, they lied to you your whole life and, you know, mom's a total villain and this and that. And you woke up and you're 13 years old and all of a sudden you realize, like, what? Because what we do is we re-adjudicate the choices of our parents as adults. And we see it, you know, they tell us this one side story and they're convinced and they're deceived. But as kids grow up, as family hangs around you, I mean, you can deceive yourself pretty well. That sales guy is really good. But you know who knew the boat wasn't for me? My wife. Or you know who knew the boat was for me? My wife. She knew it wasn't for her. It's all because of that salesman. I want to ask you a question. Um, What in your life have you lost because of the salesman of self-deception? It's so many things for a lot of us. A lot of us, it's finances. <clears throat> it's opportunity. It's a decade of life. For some of us, it's bigger things like a marriage or a relationship for, with family. For some of us, it's, it's really big things. The biggest one I see today is joy in life traded for a victim mentality. Just blows my mind. We live in the most prosperous time in human history in the most prosperous country in human history. We're in the top 1%. All of us as Americans are in the top 1% of income earners in the world. And we just sit here and we feel so sorry for ourselves because we deceive ourselves. How many of us are dealing with this? And the big question many of you are asking is, how do we defeat the salesman of self-deception? Like, all right, pastor, like you got me, right? I need some hope here. Can you give me some hope? And I want you to know, in the words of Bob Hahn in her testimonial video, if you're not dead, then God's not done with you yet. This isn't the end of your story. And you can shut down the salesman of self-deception with four steps that I've written down. You can shut down the salesman of self-deception by being wise, Wise, it's an acronym. I know some of you are like, what is this? Alcoholics Anonymous? It's like, no, 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 no. Four steps, it's an acronym. I thought it'd be clever this week. We put it together and uh, I hope you like it. But four steps, four steps, stop the salesman. First one is uh, you gotta wait a minute. 
wait a minute, wait a minute. Just wait a minute. David. David made a big mistake. He never stopped to think, right? He just did what was up next. He started off saying, you know, I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to wake up. Look at that. I'm thirsty. And there's a drink of water right there. Now she's pregnant. Oh, no, damage control. Shoot, your eyes being difficult. I'm just going to kill him. I mean, he never stopped. It's just one thing after the other. And he let the situation dictate his decisions. I'd say a solid half of my worst choices would be stopped if I just wait a minute. For me, I've come to realize I need to wait seven days. If I'm going to make a purchase over $500, it's non-bill related. I need to think, do I want to buy something in this category? And I can still jump on a deal, but I'm not going to jump into a whole new category of deals unless I think for seven days, do I really want to make this purchase? And for me, that means that, you know, I've let a few hundred dollars of deals go, but guess what? I've stopped myself from making thousands of dollars of mistakes. I wonder how many arguments would be stopped if you just wait a minute. Remember, I wonder how many regrets would be erased if you just waited a minute. The second one is uh, interact with godly people. And this is the only one's kind of a stretch. Okay, I get it. Interact with godly people. I needed an I, so I just put interact on there, but it's good enough, okay? So many times in my life, I've been on the brink of disaster. You know, the salesman is just telling me the most foolish things. I'm about to make foolish choices. And I would go to my dad. And I want to be clear. My mom is an amazing godly woman. I'm so grateful for her. She has been just the best mom. Amazing, amazing, amazing. My dad has this incredible, incredible insight and wisdom. It's part of who he is. He practices that discipline really well. Anyway, my dad has told me the things, not that I want to hear, but the things I need to hear repeatedly and throughout my life. Let me give you some direct quotes that my father has said to me. Years ago, he said to me, John, don't marry that girl. She's not godly. And you won't be godly if you marry her. I dated her for three and a half years. I was shopping for rings. And my dad said to his adult son, those words, and I thank God. My dad said to me, John, and this is, this is one he said to me many times, many times. John, you don't need to upgrade. The one you have is still good. It's still good. It's 20 years old, but it runs. It breaks down once in a while, but you have legs. John, you don't need to upgrade. You own it. This is one he said to me just a few weeks ago, and I'm so grateful, a few months ago. He said, your bitterness and anger are hurting everyone you love, and you don't see it, but I do. You need help. I'm so grateful that my dad said that to his adult son. This one, I came home the other day, the other month, and I was spinning up. And I don't know if you ever do this. I'm mad and I'm spinning up, ranting, spinning up. And my dad says, I know you're mad at him for doing that, but how did your actions contribute to him doing that? How did your actions? It was like, I don't want to hear that. These are all things my dad said to me because I've opened up my life to him. I want to ask you, who in your life could say those things to you? Who in your life could say, don't marry that girl. You won't be godly if you do. And you would receive it without getting defensive. Who in your life? Who in your life could say, you don't need to upgrade. The one you have is still good. Who in your life could say that to you and you would receive it without getting defensive? You could receive it and say, thank you. I received that. For many of us, the answer is nobody. Nobody. And that is a huge problem. Today, we have a real epidemic of what I call yes men friends. Foolish friends. Foolish friends are a dime a dozen. My best friend in high school and college, we were foolish together. We just told each other what each other wanted to hear, and we loved each other for it. Oh, it's so easy, you know. Why would she do that? She's such a jerk. She's so mean, you know, whatever. You should get her back. Yeah, of course, go get a goose and let it go in her room. That's a perfect, that's a perfect course of action. Yes, of course, we can set off the fireworks. Johnny, let's do it. Like, it's a great idea. I can't believe I didn't think of that. You deserve it. Let's go on the trip that you can't afford. That's fantastic. What a jerk. You should just run away. Don't confront. A godly friend 
A godly friend is uh, much more valuable. A godly friend is someone who has a lifelong or a decades-long track record of honoring God. And this is why I love being a part of a generation after generation church. If you're young, it's hard to find a truly godly friend. I mean, there might be godly people, but I want somebody who has a decade or decades-long track record of honoring God. Right? And this is why, you know, intergenerational church is beautiful. This is why I love men like Bob Hahn who speak into our lives with wisdom and insight, who can say truth to you and you'll listen. And to be clear, here's the problem. This is a big problem. It's not that these people are super rare. They're valuable, um, but it's not that they're super rare. They exist. They're all over. It's just we push them out of our life. That's what we do. I mean, they say the thing, you know what? It's not fun to have somebody say, you shouldn't marry that girl that you love and you're shopping for rings for and you've been with for three and a half years. Not fun. Right, And we push them out of our life because it's not fun to hear something that doesn't make you feel good. But we need those people. I love David's son. Solomon puts it this way. He says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Solomon watched his dad make foolish choices. And he gives us this incredible nougat of wisdom. And this is why I think life groups matter at the church. I know some of you, you look at me and you say, you say it must be nice to have parents like that. And it must be nice to have a dad who's a wisdom factor. And I get it. I am blessed. But one of the big reasons we do life groups is to give you access to people with godly wisdom. Why we, you know, what we try to select life group leaders for in part is godly wisdom. And this is what I say. If you have not changed or modified your course of action in the last year because of godly wisdom that contradicted your inner salesman, you probably are practicing the red flag of self-deception. And you need to change. You need to get godly wisdom. Join a life group with godly men and women. Give yourself access to somebody with a proven track record of faithfulness in your life. Number three, seek God. Seek God. See, this one's good. This one's good. This one's good. That one's okay. Anyway, the E is good too. It's just the one. Interact, you know, I was hard. Anyway, seek God. The other day I was agonizing about a choice I had to make for the church. It was difficult. I didn't know what to do. I was very scared, very nervous, very frustrated. I was anxious. And my wife was like, hey, Pastor John, Have you sought God in the Bible? And I was like, that is a very good point. And I know know the Bible. I've read the Bible. And I knew exactly where I needed to go. First and second Corinthians speaks directly to the issue I was dealing with. It's like, why did I not turn to scripture sooner? You know, the Bible's amazing. I mean, here's the most influential and positive book in human history that has caused human flourishing in every country that embraces it. I mean, you look at a world map, it's like, oh yeah, the Bible, you know, human flourishing there, human flourishing there. It's like amazing. And you know, no Bible, like no human flourishing. It's just the way it goes, right? And if you are a Christian, It's like the transcendent, timeless, totally inerrant, final authority for the world. It's totally sufficient in all things. It's like, why would we not turn to it? It's amazing. Some of you are like, well, I don't know the Bible. You know, I want to know it. It's kind of intimidating. This is what I love, okay? Training wheels for the Bible is the YouVersion Bible app. YouVersion Bible. There's lots of Bible apps. This is the best one. Okay, it's published by a church I respect. has over half a billion downloads. It's a lot of downloads. I can't count that high with my shoes and socks on. You know, it's a lot, okay? And um, it has all kinds of Bible plans that make it easy to read the Bible. Plans on unforgiveness, plans on dealing with lust, plans on finding reconciliation, plans on anger, plans on finances, all kinds of different Bible plans. Plans on doubt, plans on deconversion, plans on skepticism. You read this and you deal with the red flag of self-deception when I have big choices to make. When I don't know what to do, I seek God in his word and through prayer. It's amazing how it's like, man, I can be anxious, I can be concerned, even after I've sought godly or interacted with godly people, even after I've waited a minute, when I seek God, it's like, man, there's a a real peace that I find. The fourth one is, uh, this one's good, Um, envision the story. 
and envision the story. If you do this one out of order, if you do this before you do, wait a minute, interact with godly people and seek God, you will not be able to accurately envision the future in the same way. What these first three do is they prepare you to see the future. So many people are like, man, I wish I could see the future. Listen, this process helps illuminate the future for you. You don't need to see a fortune teller. You just practice this godly wisdom process in your life. It's not that hard. You prepare your mind to do this and you just envision. Once you wait a minute, interact with godly people, see God, you envision. What's gonna happen if I do this? Five years, 50 years, 100 years. What is this story that will be told about me? What will happen in my life if I do this? When you practice this process, it's, just, it's amazing how it becomes so much more clear. This is such an important step and I wanna be clear. The wise process is not a gift, it's not a skill, it's a discipline. My dad's not naturally wise. He's made some unwise choices in his life, but he has consistently for all his life following Christ, since he converted from atheism to Christianity, practiced this process. And he has a strong wisdom muscle. You can become a wise person who is able to see what's gonna happen before it happens. And you can make wisely, wise choices. But it is a discipline that you must apply to your life on the reg. You know, um, I wanna end with a story in my life about a time I did not practice the wise process. April 14th of this year, I was going to the lake and uh, last fall I bought a used, very used jet ski that I got a deal on because it had been momentarily stored on the bottom of the lake for just a moment. Which to me is no big deal, right? Neglected toys, not a big deal. All I have to do is pull the spark plugs out, run that starter motor, eject the water from the pistons and change the oil a couple few times and we're gonna go, right? No big deal. This jet ski had been sunken because um, the flush port cap had been omitted. No big deal. It's a buck 99 from Amazon, right? I and mean, I can get that. So I got one last fall, put it on. And the spring, while I was getting it ready, I uh, lost the plug. I don't know where it went. Fell into the, the bilge. I couldn't find it, couldn't get it. And the problem was I wanted to use the jet ski now, not later. Amazon Prime one day delivery is too long because one day from now is tomorrow and I want to use it today. And what I did was I just envisioned the future without doing this process. And I envisioned me and my kids riding on the jet ski and my kids saying, you're the best dad ever. This is the best day of our lives. And I was like, thank you. I know you don't have to tell me. I already know it, but tell me again. You know what I mean? Like that's what was going to happen. I envisioned the future. I didn't have the cap. And my dad told me, you need to wait a minute for that cap to arrive. He told me, don't do it. You're going to sink. And I was like, ah, I didn't listen in my interaction with godly people. I didn't see God and I envisioned incorrectly. And to the surprise of no one, I have never been closer to sinking a boat and killing my kids. Like truly, the thing was an inch below the water box. Like I was in a terrible way in the middle of a frozen lake on April 14th with kids fully clothed who can barely swim. It's like, I can barely swim, by the way. Like I'm half Japanese. Like I, I don't float. Like it's bad. And I'm in the middle of this lake and I'm like, you're so stupid. And I'm like waving to Kristen and she waves at me and smiles and pew, she's out of there thinking I'm just waving at her. And I'm like, no, we're gonna die. You know what I mean? It was bad. Guys, I'm a pastor. I'm a smart man. But uh, all of us, if we're not careful, can make really unwise choices. The wise process is a discipline. It's a discipline. We practice every day, every day. I just want to ask you in your life, and even if you're not a Christian, this is a critical question that's going to help you. Um, how are you deceiving yourself right now? It's crazy, the little things, the little things that can get us to waste our life. Unforgiveness for a silly argument with a family member about pants. Anger, addiction, denial, 
just yelling at our kids over and over again, justifying it. They're little, but they'll re-adjudicate that. A victim mentality. You know, all these little things, these little compromises. We say, I'm the exception, I'm the whatever, but listen, I want you to go through the wise process. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Interact with godly people, find them, join a life group, do what it takes, get godly wisdom in your life. Seek God every day. Download the YouVersion Bible app and envision the future. God is wise, he loves you, and he wants to give you a rich and fulfilling life. The plan of God in your life is statistically the best plan, leads to human flourishing. Attending church weekly gives you a longer lifespan by seven to 10 years, it's amazing. I mean, God is good, he loves you. He loves you, he wants to have a good life. Practice this process. Last thing, okay? I want you to answer this question, of course, and then assignment, assignment this week, big homework assignment, this is a big one. And maybe don't do this with your spouse because you know, it could be a trap, but um, do this with somebody that's godly in your life. I want you to ask, what does everyone else see about me that's negative that I don't see? What is the thing that I'm deceiving myself with? What is the area? And I want you to find somebody and I want you to ask somebody that knows you, somebody that cares for you, somebody that really knows you. Hey, what is? And if you don't have anyone, join a life group. Like get in it. You can turn it in on your blue card. But listen, I want us to start seeing the things that we're blind to. I want us as a church to be extremely self-aware, emotionally intelligent, free of baggage and full of life in Christ. That's what I want our church to experience. And that's what this process is designed to give to us. As we close, jump up on your feet and let me pray for you. God of grace. God of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Today, we invite you into this place and I ask that your spirit would convict us, show us areas of self-deception in our life through this wise process. I ask God that you would make us self-aware, compassionate, wise church, full of people who are walking towards your plan and purpose for our life. I said, through this process, you would restore brokenness. Show us the dark places of our heart and bring light to them and bring healing and bring repentance. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. All God's people said amen and amen.